Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Come on, somebody. How are you today? Are you excited to be in God's house? Are you excited to have church today? Well, for the rest of you that aren't excited, hopefully by the time I do my part, we'll be a little bit more excited. I love this time of year. This is, this is legacy season for us. This is, this is the time where we have the opportunity to talk about the future and what God is going to do. Our, our, our phrase we use when we talk about legacy is a future without you, but still influenced by you. Is there anybody else in here that was almost in tears? I was, I was crying on the front row watching some of these stories as these young people were getting baptized and, and brought back up. And I'm just imagining what's going to happen in their families as we move forward. Thank you so much for providing a place for them. I know if every single one of them could stand up here with a microphone, they would say, thank you for helping me have a place that I could go and grow in my relationship with the Lord. That's what legacy does for us. As as we're here, we get to learn about the intentionality and the sacrifice that others have made that allowed us to be here. I had lunch with Pastor Paul Neal on Friday of this this week, and he and I were talking. And, of course, you know Pastor Paul, super encouraging. Um, And he said, Pastor Don, you're doing a great job, and I'm really grateful for you. And I said, Pastor Paul, listen, I am am." working in a field that I didn't buy, and I'm harvesting crops that I didn't plant in many ways. And you know what Pastor Paul said to me? 50 years in ministry, he looked at me and said, all of us do that. All of us do that. I'm so grateful for those that go before us. And as we look forward to the future, I got news for you. You get to be some of those people. You get to be some of those people that 25, 30, 40 years from now can look at you and say, thank you for helping create a place that I can be in church. My family is forever changed. You and I today have the opportunity to provide for our children and those that will come after us. Isn't that exciting to think about? Man. Three weeks ago, we concluded our series. We were in a series called A Walk with Abraham. I remember our, our, our story about Abraham. And I shared what I considered to be the climax of Abraham's story. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his promised son, Isaac. Abraham obeys, knife in hand, and at the last minute before he sacrifices his son, God says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And God provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead. If you remember that story, look what God tells Abraham Afterwards, here's what he says in Genesis 22:12. Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How many of you'd love to hear that from God one day? Say, hey, now I know you love me. Now I know you fear me. I talk to people all the time, and, and usually I'm the one encouraging them about their relationship with the Lord, saying, no, 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 you're doing great. You're doing, keep going. God, how, who, who would love to hear God say, you're doing great, well done. Now I know you fear. Anybody in the, in the room who see your hands? Absolutely. Can I tell you? You can. You can absolutely. It's just going to take obedience and sacrifice for you to stand before God one day and hear, well done. 
done. It was a powerful moment in that story with Abraham and his son Isaac. And Abraham responds by naming the place where he was. How many of you remember what the, what the place was called? What do you name it? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the place where God provides. And today, I want to show you how the story of that place continues on generationally. That place continues on generally. Some of you may not even remember where it was that Abraham was instructed to go to begin with. Let me tell you, this is Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Here's what it says. He says, and he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of where? Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Question for you. Was it, was it the idea, was the idea of sacrifice, was that Abraham's idea? Was it, did he wake up one day and said, I think I'm just going to go sacrifice my son? No, whose idea was that? God. Was the location of that sacrifice, was that Abraham's idea? No, whose idea was that? Here's our title for the message I want to share with you today. A person, a problem, and a place. A person, a problem, and a place. There's a theme throughout scripture that if you'll watch, if you'll look for it, you'll see these three things interact over and over and over again. A person, a problem, and a place. And, and here's how I would explain it to you. Where a person sees a problem, God sees a place. Where a person sees a problem, God sees a place. But look at this. When the person obeys God, the place becomes a solution to the problem. When we obey God, the place becomes a solution. Let me show you that from the story that we just covered. Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Who's the person? Abraham. What's the problem? I'll tell you a problem. Sacrificing his son Isaac seems like the death to the promise that he's been waiting for all of this time. We have Abraham. We have this problem of the sacrifice that's coming. Where's the place? Mount Moriah. And the obedience that takes place, Mount Moriah becomes Jehovah Jireh, the place where God provides. Man, a person, sees a problem. God sees a place. But when that person obeys, that place becomes the solution to the problem that he saw. Okay. You got to remember that because I'm going to show you several more times throughout scripture. Let's look at another story. Same theme, a person, a problem, and a place. Second Samuel 24, one through seven. David's been king for a significant period of time. He's, he's no longer a rookie, but, but David messes up. David sins and he takes a census. He takes a, a count of all the people of Israel. And you may think, well, why is that a big deal? Just counting heads now, listen, in ancient Israel, taking a census not directed by God was considered a demonstration of a lack of trust in God's power and his provision. David might well and said, let me see what I can do. Let me see all that I'm able to. David took inventory of his own military might and prowess, and it displeased God. Now, don't sit there and look at David like you don't know what I'm talking about, because we do that too. Every time we discard faith and only consider what we can do on our own instead of what God might be able to do through us, it's very similar to that, right? God puts something before us and we look and we think, well, I don't know, man, I, can, I think I could do this or maybe I could do this. And we start thinking about our options and the things that we know instead of taking a moment and say, God, if you put this before me, you can do it. 
You can do it. God, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. That's faith. God, I can't do that because this is all I have. That's not faith. God, if that's what you want me to do, I will walk through it. If you'll bring it to me, I can do it. That's faith. And we didn't see that in David. David takes a census that he wasn't supposed to take, and it displeased God. And here's the result. God sends judgment to King David and all of Israel. And he gives David the choice of his punishment. Has that ever happened to you before growing up? I made the mistake of acting a fool at my great-grandfather's house years and years ago when I was a small child. And my punishment was he sent me to the backyard. He had a cherry tree, and he said, go pick your own switch. You want to talk about psychological turmoil (laughs) to a child. If I pick too big, it's going to hurt. If I pick too small, it's going to hurt really bad. And yet there I was trying to pick that. How many of you know I just had to pick one switch for the rest of my life? That problem never happened again for me. Here was David's options. God said, you've got some options. Pick, pick your options. Three years of famine for the whole land. Door number one, three years of famine. Door number two, the option, fleeing his foes for three months. The enemy's coming and and chasing him down and trying to kill him for three months or three days of a plague. Three years of famine, three months of running for your life, or three years of a plague. David chooses the plague. He actually says, I would rather fall into the hands of a merciful God than unmerciful men. So here's what God does. God sends a death angel starting at the northern part of Israel, making his way all the way south. 70,000 men die as a result of this plague because David didn't trust in God. He actually counted and took a census himself. Ultimately, the Lord relents right before they get to Jerusalem, right before the angel gets to Jerusalem. He relents and stops the death angel. And where the death angel stops is this place called the threshing floor of Arana. The threshing floor of Arana. And God tells David to go buy it, build an altar, and sacrifice there. So David tries to buy it, but the owner's not having anything of it. The owner actually wants to give it to him for free. Anybody here love a a good discount? You walk into a store, you head straight for the sales rack. You know, I'm not interested what's on sale. Let me me see that. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, if it's free, it's for me? I don't know about you, but if God tells me to go buy something and I go to buy it and the guy looks at me and says, hey, man, it's free. You can have it. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, you've provided for me. I'll be happy to obey for free. Look what David says. David actually says something completely different. Verse 22 of 2 Samuel 24. Arana said to David, let my Lord, the king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. And in addition to that, here are the here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Look what David said. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. 
David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Crazy story, right? Let's review. Remember, we're talking about a person, a problem, and a place. Let's see if we can find it. Here, who's the person? David. David's the person. What's the problem he's facing? The judgment of God for his sin. What's the place where all this takes place? The threshing floor of Arona. What's the obedience that happens? David obeys God, buys the property, builds an altar, and sacrifices to God. And what happens? The plague stops. The person saw a problem. God saw a place. When the person obeyed, the place became the solution to the problem. So good, you'll see it all over scripture if you'll look for it. The voiceover you heard from the video we just watched was Pastor Jacob from years and years and years ago. And one of the things that always stands out to me when I see that video is this phrase. He says, everything that God does lasts at least three generations. How many of you love to live three generations to watch what God continues to do beyond you. It's incredible to watch it. I want you to see something that's significant about both of those stories that we just read. David is a descendant of Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham. There's about 14 generations from Abraham who went to sacrifice his son Isaac. Ultimately, God spares him. 14 generations later, we see David become one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. There's just one problem. David desires to build a permanent house for the Lord, but God won't let him. Do you know what he says? He says, there's too much bloodshed and too much war in your reign. God tells King David, your son will be the one to build it. So here's how the story goes. David begins to start stockpiling. He can't build it himself. So what does he do? He goes to stockpile relationships and resources so his son will have everything he needs when it comes time for him to build It was actually David's son Solomon who builds the first temple for God, the first permanent home for God, the solution to David's problem. But where does he build it, Pastor Don? I'm so glad you asked. I would love to show you where he built it. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on where? Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. Think about this for just a second, how profound this is. The same place where Abraham obeyed God and went to sacrifice God provided. The place where God provides the ram in the bush, the place where the angel stopped the plague. And the plague ended is the same place where the temple was built by their descendants. Wow. Wow. Do you know what I take from that story? Do you know what I take from putting all that together? This one simple phrase, it's the only thing I want you to remember from everything I say today. And it's this right here. Where you sacrifice, your children will build. Where you sacrifice, your children will will build. I know Abraham had a promise from God that his descendants would be multiplied across the face of the earth. And I know the struggle that was before him when he said, God, if I do that, how is this problem going to come true? I don't think Abraham ever saw that the very place that he was called to sacrifice would be the very place that his descendants, descendants, descendants built the temple 
to the Lord. Where you sacrifice, your children will build. All of us in here today sit in a very beautiful building. Isn't that an amazing building? Amazing building. There's probably fewer than 1%, maybe 3% of the people that are here on Sunday morning that actually paid for this building to be here. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Kind of crazy. How does something like this happen? How does a place like this just show up? Some of you said, okay, fine, I'll go to church. Let me go try that one. And you walk in the door and God meets you and says, this is where I want you to be. And it's an amazing place. And you're thinking, wow, this is great. I can't wait to be a part. But you never think about how it happened. You never think about how did it get here before. This building was built by a congregation that was busting at the seams over on Lewis Street way back in the late 70s and early 80s. And it's phenomenal to watch. You come to church, and you're in the same building where your kids are, are over there, and your nursery little ones are over there, and everybody's kind of in the same building. That wasn't the case for the church on Lewis Street. The adults were in the sanctuary, but they were so full from all the teenagers from the Jesus Revolution movement that were coming, getting saved. All the kids had to go next door in a separate building, and the little ones across the street could you imagine going to church and having to drop your kids off, get back in your car, drive across the street? Some of you are like, man, I have a hard time leaving them in the room just down the hall, much less across the way. Yet God had a plan and a vision, and he put on their hearts a place where they could go. In this room are some individuals that were a part of that church there on Lewis Street. Would you guys honor us? If, would you stand up if you were, attended that church on Lewis Street before this building was built? Come on, let's see him. Let's see him. Look at that. This building here exists because there was no room in the building that they had. There's some amazing stories about what God continues to do and does generationally. I was talking uh, to Boogie earlier today, Boogie Bonan, his wife, Carolyn. 1972, 1972, they show up to church. God starts moving. All these crazy teenagers start showing up and giving their hearts to the Lord. And, and have you seen the, the, the Jesus Revolution movie? Same thing. It's like they made that movie about what's happening in, in that place. Most, most of the gray-haired people you see here today were part of that back then. And Boogie tells the story. I asked him, I said, did you have any idea that today, because of then and the sacrifice that you guys made there, that there would be four generations of your family worshiping with you? He said, Pastor John, I had no idea. I had no idea. Boogie and Carolyn Four children, 10 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, 43 of those 45 in church serving God. How I many you know God is good? One of, one of my favorite stories is a man walks up to Boogie and says, Boogie, I've been praying for my son for 10 years, 10 years to be born again. And I'm, I'm just getting frustrated. I'm just getting tired. Boogie looks at him and says, I prayed for my son for 50 years. Those of you that know Kevin, 50 years, walks into church, born again, changed his life. 
How many of you are grateful for a mom and daddy that keep praying? Yeah. 50 years. That's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm watching these stories. I'm, I'm thinking about the Mahoney's. You got to know a Mahoney or two around here somewhere. Granny Chick goes to a Bible study in the early 70s, ends up getting plugged in. Her five boys come to know the Lord. Mike and Pat and Carrie and John and Mark. Today, their kids are in church. Their kids are having kids in church. Four generations, if they all, they take up an entire section if everybody all sat together on a Sunday morning. How many of you know God is good? I have no idea if Granny Chick thought and saw when she sat in that church, thought maybe this is the place where all my kids and all my grandkids and all my great-grandkids could come to know the Lord. Everything God does, he thinks in generations. He thinks in generations and generations and generations. And man, I could go story by story by story of, of countless number of people that they're now sitting with their, we made a list. It was almost 20 families that had at least three generations sitting with them on Sunday morning. That's incredible. One of my favorite stories is Bino and Yvette Prudhomme. Bino and Yvette were dating when the time came to, to build this building. We weren't even married yet. Bino was a plumber by trade and was always very wise and very responsible with his resources and trusted God. And, and there, was, there was a small number of people, nothing like what we see here today, that came together and said, God, if, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. And they sacrificially built Bino would work for the week and get a paycheck and get, get his pay. He'd go and put groceries in the cart and gas in the truck and give the rest to the church. Wow. I don't know if you remember what math or what numbers and, and, and finances were like back in the 70s, but $200 a week is a lot of money to commit to a church. Above and beyond tithes and offerings to be able to come and say, God, I, I see a place. As only God would have it, he made a commitment. Yvette, they're not married yet, but she makes a commitment. The two of them get together and get married and watch God continue generation after generation after generation. Today, they get to sit with their daughter and their son-in-law and their grandson, three generations in one family. Everything that God does, he does generationally. And I don't know if your story is much different from Bino's, but he called me and said, Pastor, I was thinking about it. I told Yvette when we got married, we were going to break the spirit of divorce over our family. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, my dad was married twice. My mom was married three times. They had three kids from previous relationships, had three more together. Every one of my siblings has been married and divorced numerous times. Some they couldn't even count how many times were married and divorced. Bino and Yvette are the first in that lineage to say, no, 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 no. We are staying married the whole time. There are generations that will never know life with divorce because of a commitment and a decision to be committed to a place that God had called you to build. How would you love to have some of that lineage in your life? You can. You absolutely can. And I could tell you there are so many, 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 many more stories. I'm thinking about Madeline and Gordon and the, the sacrifices that you made to help us have a place like this. Today, 
we have a problem. I'll tell you what that problem is. It's called pride, poverty, and prejudice. And it is very real and it's affecting families. Not just families, it's a, it's a generational problem and it affects every single person in here. There are parts of town where you don't feel comfortable driving. There are fears that come over you and your family when your children go out without you and you have to explain to them how to behave and how to live because things just aren't the way they used to be. That affects everybody. But I got news for you and it's good news. God has a place in mind and it's called the local church. Look around, look, I want you to look at somebody else's face. These are people that don't look like you. These are people that don't vote like you. These are people that don't live where you live. Their newsfeed looks totally different from yours. They watch a completely different show on television than you watch and get your news from. Yet why is it that on Sunday morning, this can be a place where everybody comes together? I'll tell you why. Because we saw a problem, God saw a place. And if we'll obey, if we'll sacrifice, God will use that place to solve that problem. The local church is the place where pride, poverty, and prejudice can be eradicated permanently. Not just in this community, but in your family and in your children and in your children's children. Is there anybody here in the place that believes what I'm saying today? What do you think it would look like if you were to sacrifice today so that future generations could build? What do you think that would look like? Can I show you some faces? I want to show you 198 people that are seated right where you're sitting right now that because of this place are beginning new generations of their own. Look at this. 198 faces. These 198 people have started to take next steps in their spiritual journey because of this place, because of this place right here. But it's not just 198 people, is it? God builds generationally. This is 198 households. And tomorrow, it will be 198 multi-generational families that will be free from pride, poverty, and prejudice. And it's amazing to me that think that God could do something like that in some people like that. We've got an opportunity, church, to continue on the future while God has already started. You saw earlier today, we've got opportunities to make some improvements in Abbeville to expand that place. How many of you know Abbeville needs Jesus? Lafayette, the campus most responsible for most of the expansion that has taken place all across Acadiana. They're busting at the seams. They launched families into Abbeville, launched families into Youngsville, and God filled them right back up. We got to keep them going and growing 
in Ville Platte. Name me one church that's trying to go into Ville Platte. How many of you know Ville Platte needs a church like ours? I can't wait. It'll happen when we play a video from Ville Platte. And there's 198 faces on those screens that are looking at us and saying, New Iberia, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a place that God could use to solve that problem for us. It's a big task ahead of us. It's going to take $12 million to do all three of those projects. That's a lot of money. For those of you that weren't here last week, we shared some amazing news. It was incredible. God's gone before us. We had $9 million given toward those projects if we would raise the match. How crazy is that? Could you imagine starting at the finish line of a marathon? Any marathon runners in here? Not many. There's a good reason. I ran one once. That's all I needed. I'm good. I'm good. Could you imagine starting at the finish line knowing you had 26.2 miles to go, and then right before the gun went off, somebody picked you up, moved you three quarters of the way there, and said, you only have to run the last quarter to help us get there? That's what God's done. That's what God's done with this. Let me tell you what a $9 million match means for us. I know you're sitting there saying, God, I don't know what I can afford to do, but God, if you can get it through me, you can get it to me, you can get it through me. Even the smallest gift in here is doubled immediately. Think about that. God, I wish I could do more. You can. You do what God's put on your heart to do, and it will double immediately the moment you give it. I want you to reach in front of you if you didn't bring one from last week. There's a card that looks just like this. We talked about it last week. These are moments that we make as a church to say, you know what, God, I'm going to write on paper what I believe you're calling me to do in my heart. I'm going to ask everybody to grab one. Grab it and look at it. On the back side of this card, it says, please join me and us in praying and believing for, my, for our single greatest need. I can tell you what I wrote on our card today. There's some things that we're believing God for, some things that I think only God can do. And I've seen this time and time again. I think if we'd have had a card like this, Boogie probably would have wrote Kevin's name on it at some point during that 50-year period, wouldn't you? I think if we'd had a card like this, Bino probably would have written his kids' names on it. It's probably on a card like this that that grandchild's name was on, now that I think about it. The grandchild that sat on the front row here this year. Am I right, Brody? Yeah. These are moments where we get to couple our single greatest need with the single greatest gift. This isn't something we're doing for God. This is something that we're trusting we're doing with God. That we get to do this opportunity on the backside of this. It says, I believe that our, our ability to leave a lasting legacy is one of the greatest impacts we can make in the kingdom of God. We recognize that God is using us in a unique way to reach and influence others with a heart committed to providing for a future beyond us. We prayerfully commit to stepping out in faith 
and trusting God with the following amount over and above our regular tithes and offerings. And you'll see on the card, there's two boxes. There's a box where you can check and those of you that are prepared today can give a one-time gift, a sacrificial gift. You prayed, God, this is what you want me to give toward this. That's where that amount goes in that box. There's a second box there that says, this is my commitment to be filled by March 1st of 2024, this coming March. Kayla and I have an amount on here that we're trusting and believing God for. It's bigger than I can write a check for today. And we're writing on there believing that God's gonna get it to us and we're gonna commit to do that by March 1st of this year. I wanna challenge every family in here. First, I want you to pray. Many of us have been praying all week long, trusting and asking, God, what should you have me do? What will you have? Knowing everything we put on here is doubled immediately. I've got my name and our address and all that other information. And we're trusting and believing that God is going to do a work. How many of you are grateful to have an opportunity to sow into future generations, to sow into generations? Absolutely. I want to show me another set of hands. How many of you have loved ones, children or grandchildren that need to be sitting next to you? Keep those hands lifted. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for moments of legacy, moments just like this, where, God, you move on behalf of your children. We see a problem. We've got children and grandchildren that are far from you. Our greatest heart desire is that they would be sitting with us, hearing your word, worshiping you, knowing you for your goodness the way that we know you. And so on behalf of these families that have their hands lifted and raised right now, God, I ask that you would do a generational work in these families. Our greatest need today, God, is to see future generations, our kids, our children's kids, and we know that where we sacrifice, we're trusting and hoping that our children will build. So I bless them today. I bless everybody is participating and giving. God, you know the greatest need. And we ask today would be an opportunity, God, that you would go before us, multiply what we're given. And we trust you today in Jesus' name.